Hello, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, Pastor Jen Zerby concluded our series called Church Hurt. Jen preaches out of Psalm 88 and discusses perhaps the most painful experience we can have as Christ followers, the feeling of being abandoned by God himself. And as we look at this lament together, listen to how we are encouraged to bring our hurts and our tears before God. And be reminded, we not only serve a God of miracles, but in Jesus, we serve a God of resurrection. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can always find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace. So I'm, <clears throat> I'm pretty well aware of the fact that I probably spend more time in doctor's offices than the average person. <laughs> There's something that I've always wondered about. When I go for, I get infusions every six weeks, and when I go in, every single time they say, on a scale from one to ten, how much pain are you in? And even though I know they're going to ask me that, I feel like I never know how to answer that question. Have you been asked that before? You go to the doctor's office and they have that, um, that cutesy little visual, the smiley face to the frowny face, and they tell you to point to which one you are. So I don't know if we have any health professionals in here, but I will, I will never understand what they do with that information. Because the whole thing is like so absurdly subjective to me that I don't know how it makes sense to anybody at all. I don't know what they're measuring anything against, right? Somebody can tell you that their pain level is at an eight and they have like a bone sticking out of their skin. And somebody else inevitably is going to come in and say they're at an eight and they have like a sore throat, <laughs> right? We, we all have these like different life experiences that kind of dictate how we handle pain and we have different levels of tolerance for pain and and it's why I think comparing pain in general is really unhelpful. And, and that's not true just with physical pain, right? For the entire month of October, we have been going through a series called Church Hurt, where we have been looking at different aspects of pain and hurt that people have experienced at the hands of the church, both as an institution and with the people that make up that institution. We've talked about the importance of, of naming that hurt that, that has been caused, whether, again, it was the institution itself or individuals within it. We've talked about the importance of naming that. We've talked about the lack of freedom that we've often been given to experience or express the doubt that we deal with. We talked about those who are going through a, a process or a period of deconstruction in their own faith. And then last week, we talked about how to navigate when Christians hurt you. Now, each of these topics obviously come with their own degree of hurt. Deconstruction, as I mentioned, is a painful process for people who experience it. And feeling alone in our doubt is a painful thing to experience. Being hurt by somebody who says that they love Jesus and then acts in a manner that's opposite to the way that he lived, that's a difficult thing to endure. So I'm generally not a fan of comparing pain. What's the point anyway? No one wins for having the most pain or having the least pain in their lives. Hurt is hurt, and it doesn't help anyone to try to compare who hurts the worst. Having said that, as we close out this series this morning, I am aware that there is a, a unique kind of hurt, a kind of church hurt that is unique. Navigating the pain of having had a church or a friend within the church harm you or turn their back on you is painful enough, but I would argue that there is no pain like that which comes 
when you feel as if God himself has abandoned you. And so I want to close this series this morning by taking a look at that ultimate feeling of betrayal. What happens when you feel as if God has abandoned you? Let's pray as we dive in together. God, we're grateful again for the reminder that you meet us in this space. Wherever we are in our journey of faith, Lord, I I imagine that everyone here has experienced some kind of time, Lord, where we've called on you and it felt like it fell on deaf ears. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to hear your truth, the truth of your presence here with us. In your name we pray, amen. So not to be um, Dr. Obvious here, but this is not an easy topic. Right, it's not. But not necessarily for the reason that you might initially think. It's not an easy topic to preach on because while I don't mean to oversimplify, we kind of have this tendency to fall into two different camps on this topic. For those who have experienced life-altering pain or trauma or anguish or hurt, your experience was either a crisis of faith or it wasn't. And by that, I don't mean that it was either difficult or it wasn't. I mean that when you entered into that dark space, it was either a crisis of faith or it was a crisis of unbelief. For those for whom it was a crisis of faith, chances are that I'm kind of preaching to the choir. And for those for whom it was a crisis of unbelief, I'm not entirely sure that there's anything I could say this morning that would convince you of the main point of my message for today. Now, if you've been around here for a while, I usually wait till towards the end of my message to kind of sucker punch you with the main, the main point of my message. But I'm not going to do that this morning. Today, I'm going to give you the main point right up front. And then if you want to tune out for the rest of it, then enjoy your nap. But here's, here, here it is. Here's the main point of my message this morning. God has never abandoned you. God is not now abandoning you, nor will God ever abandon you. Now, I'm going to state right up front here that I probably don't have the answers that you're looking for. When we dive into this topic, I know there are certain answers that you're looking for. I can perhaps theologically explain to you why bad things happen in this world, but if you're here this morning to find out why a particular horrible thing that happened to you happened to you, Nothing that I say this morning is going to be able to sufficiently answer that question for you. But that's part of what I think we need to be able to talk about if we're going to dive into this topic in a, in a very real way. Now, I can sit here, I could spend the whole entire service this morning quoting to you all of the Bible passages that we use to support the fact, the truth, the promise, the claim that God will never abandon you. And there are so many And I believe in them all. But in all fairness, if we're going to do a deep dive into the truth of this whole situation, I think it's only fair that we look at our part in the situation as well. So there's a quote that I love that I am positive I have shared at some point here before by the author Anne Lamott. And she says, you can can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. I think about that quote a lot. And I think about that quote a lot probably because I'm daily aware of the fact that I often create God in my own image instead of the other way around. 
But as I was preparing my message for this week, I got to thinking about how applicable that quote is, not just to the people we don't like, but to most of the things in this world. Meaning that we like to assume that our way is God's way instead of the other way around. We have a certain way that we think things are supposed to go in this world. And when they go that way, we tend to be fairly content with God. And when they don't go that way, we tend to get pretty mad at God. And I want to be very clear here this morning that the situations I'm about to mention, I'm not saying these are easy, and I'm not saying that they're situations that we just get over. Some of the things we're going to talk about, I think, are some of the most excruciating things that happen in this life. And so I'm not mentioning any of these with, with any kind of a calloused heart. I just want us to think for a minute about how we view the world. For instance, I think that we assume that we are entitled to children. And then we assume when we are entitled to children that, that we are entitled to them being easily born and born healthy and born under our particular definition of whole or normal. And so when that happens, we thank God. And when it doesn't, we get mad at God. We assume that we are entitled to our children growing up healthy and happy and injury and illness free. And so when they do, well, if we're honest, we generally take it for granted. And if, if they don't, we get mad at God. We live our lives as if we are entitled to education and a good job and a decent place to live and wealth and success. And so when those things happen, well, again, if we're being honest, we generally take those things for granted. But when they don't happen we get mad at God. We assume that we are entitled to finding our perfect mate. And so when we do, all is well. And if we don't, we get mad at God. Do you see what I mean here? We've kind of crafted the world in our own image. We kind of have crafted a world in the way that we think things should go, based on what we think is normal, based on what we think that we are entitled to, and we never question that process when things are going swimmingly. When we get the education and the healthy body and the spouse and the 2.5 kids and the home and the job, we don't question whether that's really the right way of life. It's just what we think we're entitled to. But the moment one of those things goes wrong, we instantly start to question God's presence or God's love for us or whether God is good or whether God is even real at all. Despite being told clear as day in scripture that we are going to have pain and hurt and trouble in this world, we are constantly far more surprised by the pain and the hurt and the trouble of this world than we are when things go right or well. So I can't help but wonder how much of the world we have crafted in our own image. And I can't help but wonder how much of our sense of entitlement affects our ability to handle the difficult things of this world. And this is why I think feeling abandoned by God is either a crisis of faith or a crisis of unbelief. If you walk into our local Chinese restaurant, I'm hoping that you're not going to throw a fit when you find out that they don't sell tacos right? They advertise Chinese food. Their name is a Chinese name. Their menu is all Chinese food. What they sell is Chinese food. What they promise you is Chinese food. 
So why would you go in there expecting tacos? Now, I realize that that is both a completely simplistic and also stupid analogy. But if we're going to be really honest, we do this to God all of the time. I know this is hard to hear, but God never promised us a loving spouse or 2.5 kids or a white picket fence or that all of our dreams were going to come true. He never promised us 100 years of healthy life. He never promised us a high-functioning brain or a high-paying job. He never promised us 75 years of marital bliss. He never promised us fairness in the way that we understand it or in the way that we want it. In fact, God never promised us happiness at all. He promised us his joy, but not happiness. So why do we spend our whole lives holding God to promises that he never made and then getting mad at God when promises that he never made don't come to pass? What God did promise is that we would have access to all of his good gifts, all that he has, meaning God's love, salvation, grace, compassion, mercy, justice, forgiveness, all of those things in abundance, unending. He promised us everything that we need to live this life for God's glory and neighbor's good. God pours out these gifts of salvation and love of inheritance into God's family. God offers us identity and purpose. God pours out these gifts of grace and compassion and forgiveness that we are undeserving of. And instead, we ask for tacos. Now, I do believe that God loves to lavish us with extra gifts. I absolutely do. I think it brings God joy. But somewhere along the line, we got so comfortable with the things that we have and the things that we are around that we stopped seeing them as gifts and started seeing them as promises. God has never ceased to deliver on his promises. But we also have to remember that his promises were A, that this life would be hard, and B, that he would never leave us or forsake us. Now, I know, I know that this was not the most warm and fuzzy section of a sermon that I've ever preached before, but I think it's so important because if we're gonna hold God to the fire for abandoning us, it seems only fair that we would have a grasp on what God did and did not promise us in this lifetime, right? And so with that understanding, let's move on here because the next part of what I wanna say is that life is hard. Life is hard. There are wonderful, beautiful, hilarious, amazing, astonishing, lovely things about this life. And also, it's so hard. There are everyday mundane hardships of life, flat tires and cranky bosses and meetings that should have been emails. There are existential hardships like Sometimes feeling like you're on a hamster wheel or wondering what this life is all about or what you're here for or what your real purpose is or hating your job or feeling stuck. There are those hardships that are beyond our control, fires and floods and earthquakes and hurricanes. There are those hardships that are probably both our fault and within our control that we don't like to admit, like 
water and food shortages and war. But I'm guessing, I'm guessing that for those of you who have ever felt abandoned by God, none of those things I mentioned were the culprit. I'm guessing that for those of you who have experienced what St. John of the Cross called a dark night of the soul, those of you who have known a darkness that took your breath and possibly nearly took your life away, I'm guessing that for you it was something like the baby that you longed for but could never have, or had but only for a few moments. That it was the best friend or the sibling that you lost to cancer or the child that you lost in an accident, or the spouse that you lost too soon. I'm guessing it was an injury or an illness that changed your life, or it was the violence that shattered your sense of safety, or it was the decision that you made in an instant that you can't take back. It was the addiction that stole your loved one, or the addiction that you're battling yourself. It was the explosion or the slow fade of your marriage that meant everything to you. It was the death of a dream or the life that you thought you would live forever. These are the kinds of things that keep us up at night and the kinds of things that cause us to fall to our knees each morning. Our hearts break. Our lives shatter. The light is gone from our eyes and from our life. This life can be so hard. And it has always been that way. And this is why I said a few weeks ago in our conversation on doubt that that conversation would lay the foundation for the rest of this series because we need to know and understand the permission that we've been given to come to God with our doubts and with our questions so that in these darkest moments of life we will know the difference between a crisis of faith and a crisis of unbelief. Scripture is filled with incredible examples of people who loved God and yet were so angry and so hurt and so overwhelmed that they couldn't see straight. The book of Psalms, for instance, is filled with all kinds of different songs and poems written by very real people about very real life situations. Now, scholars, surprisingly, didn't agree on all of the parameters that make up what we call a psalm of lament, but most will say that there are somewhere between a third and a half of the psalms in the book are psalms of lament. What is lament? Lament, it's a, it's a psalm or a poem, a, a song, a story that expresses the human struggle. It's what people write when they are going through grief or sorrow or dealing with regret or anger. They are emotive and they are raw. And the Psalms of Lament continue to give us permission to express those same things before God today. Now, typically, the Psalms are organized in a particular manner, where at the beginning and the end, they typically give praise to God, even if they let God have it all throughout the middle. And that's true of all of the Psalms except for one. Psalm 88. It's known as the saddest Psalm in the Bible. Now, I don't do this a lot because I like to stay as close to the original text as we can, but this morning, I'm going to read Psalm 88 from a translation called The Message. The Message is, is just a translation that, that takes scripture and puts it kind of in more modern-day vernacular. So it's not, it's not super close to the original text, but it helps us understand maybe a little easier what, what they were saying when they were writing it. And so this is Psalm 88. Just, just listen along. 
God, you're my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. Put me on your salvation agenda. Take notes on the trouble I'm in. I've had my fill of trouble. I am camped on the edge of hell. I'm written off as a lost cause, one more statistic, a hopeless case, abandoned as already dead, one more body in a stack of corpses, and not so much as a gravestone. I'm a black hole in oblivion. You've dropped me into a bottomless pit, sunk me in a pitch black abyss. I'm battered senseless by your rage, relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger. You've turned my friends against me, made me horrible to them. I'm caught in a maze and cannot find my way out, blinded by tears of pain and frustration. I call to you, God, all day I call. I wring my hands, I plead for help. Are the dead a live audience for your miracles? Do ghosts ever join that chorus that praises you? Does your love make any difference in a graveyard? Is your faithful presence noted in the corridors of hell? Are your marvelous wonders ever seen in the dark, your righteous ways noticed in the land of no memory? I'm standing my ground, God, shouting for help. My prayers every morning, on my knees each daybreak. Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember, I've been hurting. I've taken the worst you can hand out, and I have had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I am bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. Whew. This psalm was written by a man named Haman. He was an Ezraite. And assuming he's the same one that we see throughout the book of First and Second Chronicles, Haman was known as being a wise man. He was known for his musical ability and his service. He had many sons and daughters who were all known as exceptional. And Haman was known for his great service to the king. And I'm telling you that because I think it's important for us to know that the writer of this psalm wasn't some sad, weepy, pathetic shell of a man who lived a miserable life. The author of the saddest psalm in all of the Bible was, a talented, was talented and accomplished and honest and wise. Charles Spurgeon once said this of Haman. In this psalm, Haman makes a map of life's history. He puts down all of the dark places through which he has traveled. He mentions his sin, his sorrows, his hopes, if he had any, his fears, his woes, and so on. Now that is real prayer, laying your case before God. You'll notice that this psalm answers nothing. God doesn't reveal anything to Haman in his questions, nor does Haman come to any kind of life change or, or big alteration of his particular course. He simply cries out to God. He cries out to a God who has allowed the darkness to become Haman's only friend. But the things that are most important to note here 
are one that Haman feels abandoned. Those of you who have known darkness as your only friend know exactly what Haman meant when he wrote that. So he feels abandoned, and two, he still writes this psalm to God. This is a prayer. Because even though Haman feels abandoned, he knows that he has not been. Walter Brueggemann said of Psalm 88, first it shows us that even in the midst of the worst circumstances, it is still possible to talk to God, to have a relationship with him. He says, remember the psalmist is praying here. He is not praying happy thoughts, but he is still praying, still talking to God. In spite of his perception that God has caused his troubles, he still believes that God is close enough to hear him. I know that some of you have felt as if God has abandoned you. And it's usually grief on grief because you were probably thrust into that darkness because of some kind of painful or difficult event. And so you're suffering through that event that led you there and then on top of that, it feels as if God has abandoned you. And it is, it is such a dark and such a lonely place to be. And it is real and it is terrifying. There's an, an absolutely incredible book. It's called A Grace Disguised, written by Jerry Sitzer. And I'm going to say that again in case those of you who are taking notes want to write this down because it's worth it. The book is called A Grace Disguised, written by Jerry Sitzer. I'd recommend this book particularly for anybody dealing with loss or grief, but honestly, anybody who's walked through that dark night of the soul, that, that, that season of darkness, it will be, um, I think you would find it helpful. Jerry, the author of that book, was in a car with his mother, his wife, and, and their four children when it was struck by a drunk driver. And in one moment, he lost his mom, his wife, and a daughter. And he writes this, pain seems to conceal God from us, making it hard for us to believe there could be a God in the midst of our suffering. In our pain, we are tempted to reject God, yet for some reason we hesitate to take that course of action, so we ponder and pray. We move toward God, then away from him. We wrestle in our souls to believe. Finally, we choose God. And in the choosing, we learn that he has already chosen us and has already been drawing us to him. And friends, this is the difference between a crisis of faith and a crisis of unbelief. When Haman writes in Psalm 88 and what Sitzer writes right here, while what happened to us may have been out of our control, how we move forward is not. A crisis of faith is this wrestling with God that I mentioned last week when I talked about Jacob, that he wrestled all night demanding that God bless him. In Psalm 88, Haman moves toward God and away from God, blaming God, but always crying out to God, about the darkness in which he finds himself. A crisis of faith is happening when you do not feel God, but you move toward God anyway, believing God's promise to you, even when there isn't a single bone in your body that feels his presence. A crisis of unbelief is to shout your pain into an empty void believing that no one is there to hear you, that despite God's promise to you, God is not there to deliver. 
But no matter the tragedy, the choice is ours to make. Sitzer says choice is therefore the key. We can run from the darkness or we can enter into the darkness and face the pain of loss. We can indulge ourselves in self-pity or we can empathize with others and embrace their pain as our own. We can run away from sorrow and drown it in addictions or we can learn to live with sorrow. We can nurse wounds of having been cheated in life or we can be grateful and joyful even though there seems to be little reason for it. We can return evil for evil or we can overcome evil with good. It is this power to choose that adds dignity to our humanity and gives us the ability to transcend our circumstances, thus releasing us from living as mere victims. And again, I want to be real clear here that none of this is to try to put a silver lining around your pain, and none of this is to try to invalidate your grief. When we are in those moments of darkness, they are so real and they are so raw and they hurt like hell and they are so scary. And we never know the timetable. None of us can tell you how long, how long you're going to have to keep going, how long you're going to have to hang on and keep moving towards God before you start to feel what you know. But it will happen. Sitzer and others that I know who have experienced such deeply tragic loss, they all talk about the fact that they never got over their pain. They never even got through their pain, but that over time they learned to live within it. He said, I live in pain and found within the pain the grace to survive and eventually grow. And I absolutely believe that that is the healthiest, most realistic way to live this life to acknowledge that those life-altering hurts aren't ones that we get over and they aren't ones that we walk through, but that with the grace of God, we learn to live into them as we trust God's promises more deeply. Which leads me to the final thing I want to say this morning. I told you that I don't have all of the answers to the questions that you most want answered. I will never understand why terrible parents get a pack of children while amazing ones spend their whole life longing for ones that will never be. I don't know why some people die from cancer and some people survive it. I don't know why I was born in this country while others were born into poverty and starvation someplace else. I don't know why God seems quiet at times when we need to feel his presence most. I know that God is there but I don't know why it's so hard sometimes to feel his presence with us. And to anybody who is in that place right now, my heart aches with you. I am sorry that you are struggling. And at the very least, I hope that you feel seen and heard today. And I hope that you know that your circumstance is not an indicator of God's love for you. God's promises are the indicator of his love. And he never fails to deliver what he promised. But the reality is that in our world, we live as if our greatest enemy is death, because death is the thing that will eventually claim everything and everyone we love. And so our tendency when we are faced with death is what? We, we pray for a miracle. Whether you're faced with the potential loss of a job or a marriage or a human life, 
Our tendency is to pray for a miracle, and that's okay. That's good. God calls us to do that. But I love what Sitzer says about this. He says, the greatest enemy we face is death itself, which claims everything and everyone. He says, no miracle can ultimately save us from it. A miracle is a temporary solution. We really need more than a miracle. We need a resurrection to make life eternally new. We long for a life in which death is finally and ultimately defeated. And friends, that is what we have in Jesus. We have a life in which death has finally and ultimately been defeated. We have a life in which resurrection is real. And it reminded me of a sign that that Tim Souter has in his office, although I think Diane gave it to him. I think that's true. It says, not to spoil the ending for you, but everything is going to be okay. (laughs) And look, I I realize that when you are in the depths of it, those sayings do not feel helpful. (laughs) But I need you to hear the truth behind that today so that when you are in that place, you will have that truth to lean on. There are days when the air that we breathe is seen clearly in the, in the cold morning smoke that comes off our breath or in the rustle of the leaves as the wind makes them dance. And there are days when the air we breathe is still and quiet and there is no tangible evidence of it other than that our lungs continue to fill. And we trust that, despite the fact that we aren't promised our next breath. There are times when God's presence will feel so close to us that it overwhelms us. And there are times when God's presence will feel so still that we have no tangible proof of its existence except that it was promised to us every day without fail. We have spent the past month talking about all kinds of hurts connected to this life of faith. So much so that I think it would be easy to go, well, why bother with any of it anyway? But the truth is that in addition to all of the incredible, wonderful, beautiful, lovely, sacred, hilarious, awe-inspiring things and people in the world, in or out of the church, people are still going to hurt you. And in or out of the church, loss and death will still be an enemy as it continues to claim the things and the people we love. So... We can go it alone, or we can walk daily with a God who has himself experienced and therefore understands our pain. We can go it alone, or know that in Jesus we have seen and felt and know God's tears as we witnessed the redemptive power of his suffering. We can go it alone. Or we know that we have the comfort of a sovereign God who has not only experienced pain in life himself, but who is also in control of all things. We can go it alone, or we can walk with a community of believers who will not only hold us up, but who, when we forget, will remind us that we have even more than a God of miracles, we have a God of resurrection, and a God who has already defeated our greatest enemy. I know those seasons of life when God feels absent. I know they are agonizing. And I know they feel unending. But please remember this morning that 
Not once has God ever failed to deliver on that which he has promised. Even when we feel that God has abandoned us, we have to cling not to our untrustworthy and fleeting emotions, but to our trustworthy and unfailing God. Let's pray together. God, I know that this is a hard, a hard sermon to hear, a hard conversation to have, a hard topic to listen to, particularly for those who are in that space right now. Because when you're in that space, it just feels dark and lonely and eternal. But God, I pray that you would help us to hear and know your truth this morning. The truth of what you have promised us the truth that you have never failed to deliver that which you have promised. Remind us, Lord, that sometimes our pain masks the other things around us, including you. Help us, Lord, not to trust our emotions that are fleeting, but our God that is unfailing. Remind us daily of your presence, Lord. Speak life to those who are living in darkness. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that it is promised. And we thank you that you will never fail. In your holy name we pray. Amen.